Hi, and welcome to a new Livewire series. In a different series, we've talked about the three distinctives of PAYS, our distinctive approach to mission, discipleship, and study. In this series, we're going to look at the three fundamentals of PAYS. In other words, we're going to look at three things that should be fundamental to Christianity, but often are not, and the relationship between PAYS and those particular subjects. So today we're going to look at church and baptism. Let's start off with the why. First, I'd like to read from 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I have two hang-ups in my life, and uh, one's rational and one's irrational. My irrational hang-up is the fear of cotton wool. I know that sounds strange, but um, I just have a fear of cotton wool. I can't really explain it. It's just the way I was born. My rational fear, however, is the fear of communal living, um, I don't personally like a lot of close community. Um, I'm an introvert, so it drains me to be around people. You know, I look at most churches that I've been a part of, and I look at people and I think, you know, would I normally really spend time with these people? I like to spend time with people I like, which are usually people that think the way I think. Um, I like to spend time with people that leave me alone. I like to spend time with people that are just a certain way. I don't like to be with community too much. Um, so I don't particularly like church in that sense. Um, I don't find myself sensing the presence of God most in a church. Uh, for me, I don't go to church for that reason. If I want to sense the presence of God, I'll go to nature. I'll go um, and ski or I'll sail. They're the kind of things I enjoy and I kind of feel a sense of God's presence. But maybe church isn't really about just going to church to sense God's presence. For me, I think I'd rather not go to church. But this is what the Word of God says. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. I love my independence, but here is the, the fact of the matter, is that God loves the church. He loves us being together and celebrating and worshipping him. And even though I don't particularly like this idea, the fact is that Christianity is not simply about me loving God. It's about me loving the things that God loves as well. Now with that in mind, think about what it says in Hebrews. Hebrews 10 says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So I can't have a great relationship with God and not a great relationship with other people. It's impossible. As much as I'd like to separate myself, I have to understand that the purpose of church, 
The why behind church is not that I live my life and then I come to church for a spiritual injection to keep me going for the rest of the week, but I come to church with the things that God has given me and I impart those things. I share my gifts, my encouragements, my stories, my praise of God with other people and they share their gifts and their stories and their encouragements with me. That's what it's all about. So then it poses the question, what is church? Well, the word ecclesia means ones called out. So this idea of a people called out of the world who are then brought together for the purposes of God. It can be an assembly, it can be a body, but really it means the whole of the church, the whole of the people of God. Mother Teresa was once asked, what is the biggest problem in the world? And her answer was this. The biggest problem in the world today is that we draw the circle of our family too small. We just like to be with people that we love. But Jesus said this. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anyone can do that. A different translation said this. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Church is a very special thing. It's a place that we, we come together with different people. And the fact that we're with people that are so different highlights the glory of God. Because I've been parts of different clubs. And most of the time, people who attend those clubs are similar. They kind of get on. They have the same interests. The amazing thing about the church is how God calls out all sorts of different people from different races and classes and personality types and blends them together. And our common factor is the praise and worship and service of God. So with that in mind, let's look at our first workshop. So please discuss the following quotes, and if true, how it relates to the church. Then discuss how your church would reflect Jesus' aim more. In fact, how would it reflect his aim in your budgets, in your organisation, and in its programmes? The Greeks worked to shape an individual who would know truth. Jesus worked to shape a community that would demonstrate truth. Modern preaching aims to create individual Christians and educate them about God's glory. However, God's Son aimed to create a community that displayed God's glory. Jesus emphasised good news, not simply good education. So there's a contrast there between modern preaching, which seems to aim to the individual and make sure the individual knows about God's glory. Whereas with Jesus, we see, and and God himself, bringing a community together that demonstrates God's glory. With those two things in mind, I'd like you to discuss those two questions. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about how do we do church. So, how? 
how does the church move forward? And what's the relationship between an organisation like Pays and the church? Well, sometimes you hear the expression church and parachurch. Uh, I think this is a really bad understanding of church. Sometimes we speak out of both sides of our mouth. You know, one minute we're saying the church isn't a building, it's the people of God. It's not an institution, it's the people of God, the body of Christ. And then on the other side of our mouth, we say, oh, but there's power church. There's something that's separate kind of the church. You have the church which meets on a Sunday in a, in a building in a certain way, and you have these other things. Well, that's completely wrong. The church is the church or it's not. I'm either a member of the church, pays as part of the church, or we're not. We're not parachurch, there's the church. Those who are part of the church, called out to worship and serve God, and those who don't. Now in saying that, we at Pays massively believe in the system of the local church that most of us would be familiar with. In fact, I personally believe that I believe in the local church more than some pastors I know. Because some pastors I know will say, oh, well, I believe in the local church. But what they really mean is, I believe in my local church. And it becomes a competition. I was once in a, a service where they were sharing the vision for a new uh, children's building. And the pastor got up and said, hey, we need to do this. We need all these different things if we're going to compete with the churches down the road. And I was shocked by that statement. But I think... To be honest, that's what a lot of people are thinking. The fact of the matter is that the proof of what you really think about the local church is in what you do. And Pays does nothing without the local church. Every single one of us is part of the local church because I believe it's the greatest invention of all time. So even though I don't believe that Pays is parachurch and there's two separate things, what I would say is Pays is part of the church. And there's a better way of looking at Pays' relationship or an organisation, a missions organisation's relationship with the church. And I want to explain these two things because they help us as individuals as well. The first thing I want to look at is the priests. God appointed priests, and priests are wonderful. They were qualified by lineage, by their kind of bloodline, and also by study. And what they did was they had a certain role. Their role was to keep the church um, or the people of God, understanding and in relationship with God. And they would do this through different systems, observations, duties, feasts, fasts, holidays, uh, festivals. Uh, they emphasise religion. Now, when I say emphasise religion, that's not a negative thing. Sadly, the idea of religion somehow is negative now, but religion just means really the way we connect with God. And that's why they emphasise, they, they emphasise how we connected with God, how we remembered the things of God. The problem is that over the years, quite often you see the priests doing their job, but eventually the, the people of God just kind of beginning to miss the points and becoming very inward looking. To give an example of this, I want to show a little video I once saw called uh, Bubble Creek. And um, just watch this video and, and see what it brings to your mind. Mom, where's Timmy? He's gone to be with the Lord. He's dead? No, silly. He and his family have moved to Bubble Creek Canyon. Do you dream of a day when you can drive to work without being forced to look at unchristian billboards and bumper stickers? 
When you can turn on the radio without hearing the electric guitar or some other horrible instrument of the devil? When you don't have to interact with bozos who have the audacity to disagree with you? Well, at Bubble Creek Canyon, your dreams can come true. Hello. Or as we like to say at Bubble Creek Canyon, heaven out. Bubble Creek Canyon is an isolated community nestled in 3,500 acres of magnificent and desirable real estate. Best of all, it's 100% heathen free. That's right, and you'll think it's the next best thing to heaven. At Bubble Creek Canyon, we use an elaborate screening process to ensure that our residents completely agree with our doctrine. No ifs, ands, or Buddhists. We're a heavily gated community with fantastic facilities, breathtaking sight lines, and Christianized amenities. We have a Christian shoe store, a Christian t-shirt store, a Christian underwear store, a Christian bank, Christian grocery, Christian car dealership, Christian pet store, Christian liquor store, and a Christian tattoo parlor. Temporary, of course. We have a nationally recognized school district and only one textbook. We also think you're gonna like our library. How'd this filth get in here? At the BCC Cinema, you can watch all the latest movies without worrying about the questionable content because we removed it all. Every home comes with a spacious backyard with plenty of room for an optional baptism pool. Hey, pin the ear on the High Priest Soldier, one of my personal favorites. And each home comes equipped with built-in Christian signage. Just try to pull this off the wall. With our combination cable and internet package, you'll have access to ES Pray In, My Heavenly Space, God Tunes, Godopedia, God Gold, God Bay, Godcast, and The Sopranos. Every morning, a copy of our community paper will be delivered to your doorstep. And our publication is committed to protecting you from all that unpalatable bad news that's always happening around the world. Our landscaping company, Holy Ground, will make sure that your front yard is always impeccably manicured. We've added a new feature this year. Around the holidays, special sensors in the streetlights detect non-nativity ornamentation and act quickly to eliminate these unsightly eyesores. Bubble Creek Canyon. If God wasn't omnipresent, he'd probably live here. So, uh, the priests did their job. And the Bible says that we are a collection of a royal priesthood. All of us are priests. It's a wonderful thing. Fantastic. But like I say, as you watch that video, we begin to become more inward looking and inward focused. And we begin to lose the plot and begin to forget God's plan. So when that happens, God sends not the priests, he sends the prophets. Now they're qualified in a different way their passion and their moral substance. These guys could come from anywhere. They didn't necessarily have a particular bloodline. They didn't necessarily have been to a particular school. Just their passion, their desire, and, and the sense of God being with them and giving them success, or at least God's hand being upon them, qualified them for what they were doing. And what they would do is they would emphasize not so much religion, they would emphasize the heart or the spirit behind the religion, the spirit behind the things that we do. Uh, they, their their um, role was to highlight um, people who were poor, people who were marginalized. So nowadays that may be people of different class or a different religion. Uh, uh, it might be people of a, a different way of looking. It may be a, an age group like youth, 
prophets would rise up and remind the church of really what the whole thing was about. They'd live kind of extreme lives. You know, one prophet had to marry a prostitute so they would feel what it felt like when Israel committed adultery. Another um, prophet had to cook food over excrements. Um, some sometimes took all their clothes off to make a point. They did some strange things. Now, I'm going to show you a picture of a lady called Butterfly. As you look at this picture, um, this lady was not a Christian prophet, but in some way she represents the role of a prophet. She loves, or she loved redwood trees, so she decided to spend 738 days in a forest that was going to be cut down. And she saved three acres of redwood forest. Sometimes, it seems to me, it takes an extreme to influence the mainstream. The problem is that prophets can suffer the same uh, sin issue, really, as, as priests, in that it becomes about us. In fact, I think for organisations like mine, we almost get this spiritual snobbery of thinking we're in some way elite because we're doing things that the church isn't doing. And it just becomes about us. Um, I spoke to a hero of mine uh, a while back who heads up a huge missionary organisation and within about an hour and a half, three times he warned me not to work with a local church. And the reason he gave was, local churches will try and control you. Absolutely true, I've seen that to be honest. But the fact is that organisations like mine bring in control as well, it's human nature. So God has used this incredible synergy over the years of the priests that help us connect with God and then the prophets that remind us of God's plan. And it's a wonderful thing. In my mind, as Pays works with a church, in some ways, there's that synergy, that same thing going on there. That does not mean that everybody in the church, there's nobody who's not prophetic, and it certainly doesn't mean that everybody on Pays is prophetic. It just means that that's the way that God, I think, uses our organisation. Someone has once said this, that a priest speaks to God on behalf of men, and a prophet speaks to men on behalf of God. There's this wonderful synergy that we have. This kind of synergy um, reminds me of a coin. You know, on one side you have heads and tails, or priests and prophets. If you just flip a coin up and it lands, it'll land heavily on one side. It rarely lands in the centre uh, and you have both sides facing out. And I think that's the same with the church and with an organisation like Pays, that if we're not intentional, then one thing will always outweigh the other. And I love that, that idea that we can work together. So if you're on Pays, our plan is certainly not to in any way do anything outside of the church, but we have to realise that God is using us to remind the church of things, but then the church is reminding us of other stuff that's incredibly important to God. But Pays and the church work hand in hand. We're certainly not independent of it. In fact, just want to show you this diagram. This was a, a word that was once given me. Somebody once said to me, you know, Paul, your ministry in the future will always be uh, like a washing line. It's useless if it's hung from one pole. It has to be hung from two poles. And that's always been the case for me. I've always worked in a local church, but I've always headed up pays, and that tension has made it work. With that in mind, let's look at our next workshop. 
As you look at the diagram appearing on the screen, it said that a church goes through a 70-year cycle or can go for a 70-year cycle. For the first 15 years, a church really grows, and then for some reason, around 15 years, stops growing and plateaus. And for the next um, 55 years or so, the church just plateaus. It doesn't really grow, it doesn't make, make much difference, and then eventually, after around 70 years, it starts to die. As you look at that diagram, let me ask you this question. Why do you think this happens. Why do you think a church grows for 15 years and then can plateau for, for about 55 and eventually dies? Obviously, this is not an exact um, science, but this is a general thing. It's called the 70-year cycle that people see. Now, a clue to the answer is it all depends on the question or the questions the church is asking. So discuss that. Why do you think this happens to a church? What are the questions that would make a difference? And I'll give you the answer in about 10 minutes. Okay, let me explain the questions behind the 70-year cycle. It said that the reason a church grows for 15 years is because, because they're asking two important questions. Why and who? Why are we here and who are we here for? But after around 15 years, a church begins to get its systems in place and volunteers in place. And then the question turns to how? How do we keep what we've got? How do we keep this going? And the moment that's the driving question, we plateau. I find that um, quite challenging to always remember. And what I would say is this, quite often it's the priest um, that keep us moving forward, but it's the prophet that comes in and asks that question, why? And it reminds us of who we are here for. So we've looked at why, we've looked at how, let's look at what. What do we need to do to help people find themselves as part of the church? Well, I think there's another fundamental that it seems to be missing from our general um, mission. Um, obviously, that may be different in your church, but in the churches I've noticed, this fundamental, it seems, is, is missing in the importance of it. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 2. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to that number that day. There are several reasons why baptism is so important. First of all, it is an act of obedience. Uh, I go to the village church and, and the, the pastor um, or lead teacher, Matt Chandler, says this. Baptism is to Christianity what money is to marriage. In other words, what he means is that most arguments or the rubber hits the road, if you like, when it comes to money 
in marriage. That's where people really start to work out if they're going to really commit. Um, I used to lead marriage courses and I remember one of the questions to the, the uh, engaged couple, to the man and the woman, was to ask them separately how much money they could spend did they feel without getting permission from their spouse. And uh, the lady puts, in one case, £50 and the husband puts £272.50, which was an interesting number. We never knew why for a couple of, a couple of weeks, actually, until we suddenly found out that his favourite football club, Oldham Athletic Football Club, that's how much it cost for a season ticket. So money can make a big difference. Um, but baptism is an act of obedience. Sometimes we don't always understand the things that God tells us to do, but we obey them anyway. Secondly, baptism creates a defining moment. It helps us define that moment in our lives where we made a choice. And when we go under the water, it's like a funeral. We're saying our old ways have passed, have gone, have died. And as we come up, we say a new creation, a new life is being lived. And it's a fantastic thing. Let me read something to you from the book of Romans. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We must therefore, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Thirdly, baptism is symbolic about joining the family of God. It's, if you like, the moment we enter the family of God. It says in that passage that we read earlier on, about 3,000 joined the church that day. They were, they were baptised. And there's some interesting facts and figures if you were to go to Jerusalem about where they were baptised. It seems there was some kind of mass baptism around those days where many people were getting saved and many people were getting baptised. Now, I don't know about you, but I often find baptismal services quite strange at churches. It just seems awkward and odd. And it wasn't, um, it was quite a long time until I figured out why. You know, in, in my church, um, you would go in, there'd be a normal service, and basically a bath would be created or rented, or the stage would open up and there'd be a bath, and people would wear white and go into this water and out. And it just seemed so odd and so unnatural compared to how in Jesus' day where it was probably by a river nearby, it was it was a bit more obvious what was going on, a bit more, it kind of made sense a little bit. It must be weird if you're not a Christian to go into a church, suddenly they bring out a bath and everybody gets in and gets out. That's got to look strange, I would think anyway. So I'm not sure it's really what's important is about where you get baptised. It could be in a local swimming pool, it could be in a, a local river, it could be in uh, your local church indoors. I don't think the question of where is important. For me, the question is that's important is the question, who? Who are you getting baptised in front of? Baptism is a declaration. The old is gone, the new is come. It's an act of obedience. I am following Jesus and it's saying, I am now part of the body of Christ. I am now part of the church. So for me, what's most important when we see people baptised is who is it in front of? If it's just in front of a lot of people who don't know them, church members, I suppose there's some value in that. But for me, it becomes far more powerful when it's in front of people who are their family and their friends who don't know Christ yet. Now, 
how do you do that? Because maybe nobody wants to come to church to see that happen. Well, for me, when I think about pays, I think about social media. What I would love to see, and this is just on pays, is that when we see people get saved, then we massively make baptism part of that. It goes hand in hand. I think we need to encourage people to be baptised. And I think social media is a fantastic place for that, that we can video people who are being baptised and we can get them to give their testimony on social media or write text underneath a picture of them being baptised. For me, it's not, such about, it's not so much about where people are baptised, it's more who are they baptised in front of. And I want to encourage you, if you're on pays, to be thinking about that. You know, is there a strategy in place for baptism that we help people that we see come to Christ also be baptised, an act of obedience, a defining moment in their lives where they follow God and become part of the church and we integrate them into the church. For me, that's fundamental. It's fundamental Christianity. It's fundamentally what Jesus asked us to do. The sad thing about fundamentals is some of them are not fundamental to us anymore. And with that last thought in mind, let's look at our final workshop. I would like you to create a baptism strategy for whatever ministry you have. So think about these three questions. How do you bring in baptism to your gospel message as Jesus did? Secondly, how do you create the opportunity for baptism? And thirdly, how will you help those you lead to get baptised, tell others. I'd like you to look at those three questions and think through a baptism strategy. What we're trying to do here is to integrate people into the full body of church. Only, of course, if they want to. We can't force anybody. Um, but we need to provide a pathway to membership of the body of Christ. I know this live wire was very simple, but hopefully it was a little bit thought-provoking as far as how you practically implement what Jesus saw as so important, that we're part of the church, that the church helps us bless each other, that we connect with God, but also we're reminded about what God's plan is, and then we bring people on mission, and we bring them in to the main body of church. Thanks very much for listening. My story is that I partly backslid because I was integrated into a local youth group, but not integrated into the full body of Christ. Please, let's not make similar mistakes. Bless you. Have a great discussion. And I'll speak to you next time when we look at another subject in the three fundamentals.